Hello and welcome to With Relish on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Harry Colley. And I'm Aoife Allen. If this is your first time listening in, welcome to the show. We're a fortnightly food podcast looking at all things good in the Irish culinary scene. If you like what we've done so far, please subscribe and write us a review. So, Harry, what are we talking about today? Today we're going back to basics. Excellent. My top fave. My top fave too. <laughs> top fave's is, all yeah, around. Basic Alan. <laughs> basic Alan, they call her. <laughs> That's what they call There's you. Basic Collie. Um, yeah, we're going back to basics. We want to talk about, I suppose, food in its most natural form, in a sense. Uh, we've got a wonderful guest on the show by the name of Dr. Bill Schindler, who is from Washington State College. And he is joining us to talk a little bit around a project that he's doing on experimental archaeology in collaboration with UCD, um, where they're essentially in a nutshell, looking at what humans have been eating for millions of years and thousands of years um, and seeing what is relevant, I suppose, from that diet in how we should be eating today. Yeah, it's about looking at the progression of like uh, fossils as they go along and they can see how the human form changed and then socially how the diets were changing and how those relationships between um, humans growing, brains growing, growing in size, communities growing, all of this kind of stuff and its relationship with food. And so looking at the the moment, I think, where that that big leap happened Mm. and then focusing on the diet of that period. Yeah, so it's it's a fascinating one because, you know, one of our more recent episodes and one that's dear to both our hearts was about the ethics of eating meat. And one very profound thing that Dr. Bill shared with us is that, of course, uh, we just wouldn't be the human beings we are today if we didn't have meat in the diet all along. Um, which I knew, but, you know, it's good to have those things uh, kind of reiterated and yeah. have a bit of a think about it. The other guest that we have on today, and we're going on a bit of a field trip, uh, we're very excited about, is that we're going to go and talk to Ross Cassidy where they have a fabulous small organic farm. So it's Elmhurst Cottage Farm is what they're called and they've been open for, well, so Elmhurst has been around for a couple of years um, but I know that Ross and Nadia took over the lease of the farm in the last year and a half and they are one of the suppliers of the Fumbly. They also supply a number of other small cafes around town and then they also do these kind of like veg box drops for people who are in the area. So they're kind of, they'll, they'll just mm-hmm. do a weekly box of stuff that's coming into season on the farm. Anyways, it's a small farm about an acre in size with three polytunnels and what they're doing is going back to basics in the city yeah. and so they're, they're just like in really a very romantic little cottage oh my god yeah they're just stripping everything back um, and living off the fat of the land yeah so or the lean of the land I think at this time of at year at this time of year and, you know, the depths of winter yeah. I suppose what we want to do is um, hear a bit about what they're growing um, have a look at the chucks um, but also find out about the reality of going back to basics in that sense um, it's I think we probably all, not all, a lot of people have a romantic idea about what it would be like to grow a lot of your own food. Um, and I suppose we'd just be very interested to hear about what that's like day to day. Uh, having a small family, a lot of chickens to look after and in some cases unidentifiable plants coming up out of the ground trying to figure out what they are and what to do with them. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a really interesting one. And I think they're kind of little pioneers in a sense in that they've taken on this project. Um, and I'd say there's lots to learn. Off we trot. So off we go and learn yeah. from them. Beautiful. Yeah, it's very nice. And so we're going to tuck in now. Yeah, let's tuck in. Oh, nice and close. Come into the loo. Come into the loo. Yeah. All right. It smells really good. It smells lovely. Lavender. Yeah. Lavender does the trick. Hi, uh, my name is Rosa Cassidy, and I am currently running Elmhurst Farm with my family out here in Glasnevin. Okay, so here we are at Elmhurst Farm uh, in. Dublin 9, Glasnevin, Glasnevin yeah. uh, in North Dublin City and we're here at Rossa Cassidy who lives here with his wife Nadia and their little girl Maya and their little boy Samuel and the guys have a city farm here and it's kind of amazing to come down the driveway 
um, you know, off the Ballymun Road, which is really busy, uh, come down that, that kind of green driveway and suddenly discover yourself in this little rural setting in the middle of the city. It's so beautiful and it's this kind of like, it's a hidden, a hidden gem for like, using a really overused phrase but you're just coming in off of this like mad busy street and you're coming down this like really really long driveway and then just opens up and so the three of us or four of us as well are all standing here uh, in the middle of like a massive garden with three polytunnels one which has been ravaged by a storm uh, <laughs> we've got a chalet beside us and we've got a, a beautiful old vintage um, caravan in the corner I can see chickens from here I can see plants alive and dead all over <laughs> the shop <laughs> it's a tough time of year yeah. so Rasa yeah. Cassidy thanks so much for coming on with Relish yeah, it's a pleasure to have you yeah. so would we go on a tour of sure. what we're looking at first and you can tell us what's going on in yes. the garden and Harry and I will scrap over the microphone as we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 I want to tell you what I like about yeah. the place um but yeah, like you said, it's this little kind of gem. It's like, we were exactly the same when we saw it. We were like, what is this place? And how does this exist in a capital city? And we're just like, kind of fell over ourselves with it, n not even knowing that we could end up here. And some friends of ours were here and they uh, they moved away and then th it became available for us and we couldn't just be we couldn't believe it. And then um, we're kind of just going through that, taking it over from someone else, learning from what they did and then learning our own way and like every kind of uh, green space you kind of have to figure out how it works for that space so that's what we've kind of been doing for the last year so like I said you've kind of come at a cold frosty killing of plants time <laughs> of year mm -hmm. so it's not it's still beautiful and it's yeah. lovely and green and everything but I guess you know through the seasons this place changes so much there's so much more greenery we've got around 40 apple trees which you can kind of see now are the skeletons here yeah. and so and then we've got plums we've got pears there's just an incredible amount of fruit here and then all kinds of gooseberries and um, all other kinds of berries but basically they're so they're dotted out throughout the farm and you can see there's like this little walled area here so it's it's really nicely sheltered and south facing so it's perfect it's flat um, and then also the other bonus part that I think because you think like oh they've got a little acre in Glasnevin great but we're not surrounded by a housing estate so we're surrounded by other fields and it's mm -hmm. just it, it kind of feels a bit more immense you know yeah so anyway yeah Gorgeous. so it's ideal it's great so we've got these three polytunnels uh, lined up yes um, what size are they and what do you have growing inside them so this is a medium-sized tunnel so they're all professional polytunnels yeah this one is much more established than the other ones and the guys they'd been here for eight years they had planted grapes in the beginning so we have vines going across on both sides uh, and obviously the south side's a little bit stronger than the north um, and then we have uh, figs coming through the middle oh as well so they need to be pruned back but you can see we didn't have such a great season last year with the figs so the trees you, you know you have on and off season yeah and this year the figs they just didn't quite Make have such a good season okay. compared to apples which were like incredible like yeah. crazy so uh the tunnel is kind of hit and mix hit and miss sorry with uh fruit and so the grapes did great on this side not so great on this side so again w it's only our first season we're kind of yeah. figuring it out um but yeah this is our little so tropical grapes tunnel and grapes and figs in Glasnevin. i love it yeah and so what we're looking at here so it's like just to describe what's going on it's mm. this kind of like plastic Paint a picture. That we're in. I'm, pa I'm painting the picture here. Do you know what I mean? It's radio. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we've got all of these beautiful vines that are growing everywhere, but it looks kind of like 
Mrs. Havisham's house in uh, Great Expectations. Just like, just like weeds growing everywhere. Like, Dark. like, like uh, weeds is not the word for it, but it just looks like I don't know. There's a dog having a weed out. There's <laughs> 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 Safi. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Don't get involved with the dog. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one of the tunnels. Then through, we kind of have a makeshift polytunnel, and at the moment, that's kind of our nursery. And also part of the storm, that whole thing actually blew over, so that was a total nightmare. And I was trying to fix all that, all our little seedlings and everything, they all crashed and into it all over the floor. So while I was fixing that, Ophelia as well went on a rampage next door on the big tunnel and just ripped the thing pretty much in half. So that was not the best crack. And so how many years have these tunnels been here? That's a good question. The guys before, there was a lot of information to pass on yeah. and it wasn't all passed on. So it, it was just guesstimations really, but I'd say that one's about, it. like the tunnel's been here since the beginning, but then the cover that they put on it, I'd say it's about five years. So, so depending on weather conditions and how tight the, the skin is and everything, it, it needs to be changed every so often anyway. So that one was on its way. So it's, it was on its way, but I suppose the point is that Ophelia was like bad enough that these things yeah. that were established and put down really, really exactly. well are still able to be ripped up and put in bits because of the storm. Totally. And Rasa, just before we started recording, you told me a bit about, you know, the reality of actually trying to manage your equipment in the storm. Um, can you tell oh us yeah. a bit about that? What, what did you actually <laughs> have to do and okay. on the day of the storm? So like I said, go? in here, our little uh, nursery, this blew over. I was dealing with this. And then all of a sudden I heard like a... <laughs> and I just oh. looked behind me there and a small tear just came at the bottom where the wood uh, pulls the skin down and connects to the okay. frame. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I gotta get on this straight away. This storm is only getting stronger and it's only gonna, so. And we're talking about your biggest polytunnel here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we start, I started to uh, try and just pull it down and connect it however I could. And, I re and it started to rip more and more and more. The storm started to get stronger. And then um, I realized the only thing that I could do was try and get a new piece of wood onto the rip, uh, just above the rip piece. And I sandwiched two planks, screwed them together and tried to pull it down and screw them to the floor, the yeah. so the wooden border around the bottom. But the problem is, it's usually pulled so tight that it was very hard to reach all the way down. And the storm got stronger and stronger, and I was like hanging on, and then a big gust came and basically like pulled me and the thing with it up. Right. Okay. And I kind of tried to hang oh. on, and at that stage I realized, once you're in that stage of the storm, you just, you have Too to dangerous. let go. Yeah, so and real Wizard of Oz stuff, like yeah. just taking off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And then just like kind of peering out the window of the house and just like, oh no, it's not gonna no. stop. <laughs> and then yeah. you can only wait till the morning, I come out in the morning and it's like, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's just like, There's the it's all gone. Yeah. And oh, Rasa. Ah, yeah. uh, no, but that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's part of it. And the problem, the bigger problem is, okay, fair enough, you need to change the skin, but we had it, not full, but we had a lot of plants in there and a lot of them are tied on to the supporting structure so yeah. they can climb. And then obviously they got such a racket, such a shaking from all that, that a lot of them did not yeah, enjoy it. Yes, yeah, exactly. It uh, so okay. yeah, it was a it was a pretty bad pretty next day. But yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the things yeah. you learn your first year. Yeah, absolutely. And like, maybe in hindsight, I could have, before the storm, really considered the, the gravity of it and maybe tried to tighten the thing more. Uh, give more cover for it or yeah. like I said this, the the cover was old so yeah it was and just a matter of time I guess anyway so these are really tough life lessons and yeah exactly and you know we talked about uh, arriving on the site for the first time and what a beautiful spot it is and yeah what a beautiful setting and then that tells us a bit about the more nitty-gritty everyday totally 
the two sides. Yeah, the two sides of it. Storms aside, that's quite dramatic. Yeah. Day to day, what are the challenges and what are the rewards? I guess it depends on the season as well. So if you can imagine a day at this time of year compared to a day in the middle of summer or the end of summer, it's like just completely different life. So in the middle of uh, harvest time or at the end of the summer, you're like up early, you know, it gets bright early, you got to get up, get out there, let the animals out and give Evan a good water. And, uh, you know, you got to work on like what's going in next, what's being harvested. And it's just like full on all day. And now in the winter, it's more like, okay, what am I doing next? What areas are we prepping next? What plants are we like thinking about for the coming season? And more like mathematics, more like the rotation, what needs yeah. to go in after what and and all that kind of thing. So it's much slower. Like one is great because you're really all day in the garden and yeah. you're just full on, you know, it's not cold. You just keep going and going and going. And I guess you're seeing a lot of reward. Cause totally, yeah. Ripening over uh, yeah, it's beautiful. From day to, one day to the and next. It's just and all it this, looks great. And all this birth. Yeah, yeah. And then at the other stage now, as you can see, there's just all this death. And <laughs> it ha that has to happen in order to like, to appreciate the the flowers and the spring and the and the fruit that that comes from it all, you know. And I've he I've heard you speaking about the idea of death before. Yeah. Uh, like with Maya. And oh yeah. And how the kid oh, right. talk about like with the chickens and things like that. How 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 kind of like what a beautiful environment it is to like be able to bring your family up uh, somewhere like this. I know that now. Uh, you said before that like you're living so closely with the seasons and all this stuff, mm. but then it's more just the seasons, like the seasons and the renewal of life and the loss of life between yeah. plants and animals and all this stuff. It's like a hugely complex thing for kids to understand. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think like everyone always says, oh, it's so good to bring your kids up in the in an environment like this or whatever. But that's maybe closer to the point of why it's good is that it gives a practical explanation to complicated things. So you know, the kids are such a, a part of it, and I. I don't push them, but I encourage them to like try and be involved. And Maya, I'm like, go and collect the eggs, really, today. And, you know, you're going to help. We're going to do some planting today. And she loves it. And um, sometimes she doesn't love it. So, and some are the same. So we just try and get them involved. And they want to be involved as well. So, like, things like we try to get them involved. We try to, um, you know, what do you want to eat? And little bed for them to grow. And exciting things that grow quickly and things like that. So that's a good way to, like, hook them in. And then when it comes to the whole lessons of it, is they've put the labor in and they, in the end, they reap the rewards and they're like, oh, it's amazing. And just like with the chickens, you know, you go and collect the eggs, you love your hens, you give them a pet, you name them, and then one of them dies and it's like, whoa. So what Harry, I think, was getting at originally is that we've had a couple of fox attacks over the season as well. And Maya's hen that we had from the previous house that we're in, she was like one of our original hens that we've had for ages and she named her and every time we brought some rented farm she'd pick her up and she's like this is my hen and da, da, da. and then one morning we came out and that one was yeah it was no more and it was a, a sad situation and i was like have to explain it to her and she took it so well and she just because she's been through the whole uh, journey of it i think made it easier for her and better understand that complicated situation you know and more accepting of it i think as well because yeah. She'd been so involved. Rasso, what do you have in store for us in spring? What new things are you going to plan? Well, this is all like the, the plannings now. Yeah, so the last season was definitely experimental and we weren't really so organized with our volumes. It was more just like, let's try this. Let's see if that works. Let's give that a go. And so we just tried stuff that was fun and, mm. and interesting for us. So we just like looked what the organic seeds had and what the guys had down Leitrim and stuff. And we're like, oh, let's try that. And so we had corn and we had aubergine and we had melon and just like fun things as well as salads and the usual and what grows well and easy here. And obviously uh, by the end of it, we're like, well, that was fun, but like 
you know, corn takes up a lot of space, yeah. and you get two corns per plant, and it's like yeah. japers. So not maybe the best well, thing to grow in a small space. Was there anything unusual that you're going to carry on to the next season? Yeah, I guess unusual for me because I hadn't tried them before and I realised that they're good and people had told me they're good. Uh, I guess the like cucumber and stuff like that, mm. like I was kind of surprised that was so fast yeah. growing and producing. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really good one. It doesn't take up a lot of space. I agree with cucumbers <laughs> this year. Sorry, for did it work? Uh, it did. I mean, yeah. it was kind of an act. Like I live in an apartment with a balcony yeah. and uh, don't have tons and tons of space for growing things. Mm. So like... Um, like we grew a grapevine last year indoors just because they grow really, really quickly and yeah. it's fun to watch things go. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, I'm impatient, so it's fun to watch things yeah. happen fast. And the cucumbers were the same thing where we planted them and then they was like, boom. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. And they all started like appearing. It's amazing. Yeah. Reward, I mean, yeah. they tasted awful. <laughs> 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 yeah. But we gave it a go. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, we, we gave the melon a go. And I'm, I'm sure there's lots of people that are doing it very well and they grow yeah. delicious Irish melon. But it like, took a lot of work. And in the end, it was like, that tasted like nothing. Just so not enough sun for the Yeah. Or we did it wrong. Or, you know, okay, yeah. or we picked the wrong variety for the, yeah. the type of space. So yeah, and then like you can see in there, like th we're just messing around. So there's like um, sweet potato. So we tried sprouting some sweet potato. We've got avocado trees. Uh, yeah, we're just messing around as well, having fun with it, as well as like practical. Anyway, this coming season is going to be much more practical, much more okay. sensical. You've had your fun. Experimental. Have you? <laughs> Fun's over. Uh, yeah, sort of. No, we're just um, we're going to be a little bit more focused on on what works and what we want to use the space for. Yeah, more okay. clever with the amount of space we have. Yeah. So we don't have a massive amount of space, but definitely enough. Like, yeah, you'd be surprised. If you grow the right things in in a small space, you know, you can do really well. Come on, we go down to the chickens? Oh yeah, what's up with the chickens? Yeah. yeah. There's our compost over there. So me and Maya made that. We tried to divvy up different compost, what we can use and um yeah, uh, my mom has alpacas. So everything oh, right. on the farm, we try and do, uh, we try and bring in as many kind of people involved in our lives as possible, as well as, you know, kind of everything working towards one goal. So my mom has alpacas. We pick up all her poop for her. She's very happy. We take it here. And it's amazing fertilizer. It doesn't need uh, time to sit in the soil. You can use it straight away, put okay. it on the plants. So that's, that's like gold poop. <laughs> yeah, that's our gold the poop. The best poo in yeah. Dublin. And then we right have there. we have our chicken and, and ducks and all that kind of waste. And that needs a little bit to break down and put it on the soil. So, yeah, and then we divide everything else up. We try and we have one pile that has no uh, seeds and weeds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then another pile that'll just go pure to compost and we can use it for stuff. So it's break down and then also another one for for using for compost. How many trucks have we got? There? We've got 35. And we've got two lads in there as well. We did have three, but I think the 35 girls were having a hard time with three. So okay. we reduced it to two. I gave one to uh, my daughter's school. They had a fox attack and they only left one hen. So I thought we'd bring down the cocker and at least they have company. Um, so yeah, the girls are kind of mixed from my friend who was here before. And he had some hens. And so we, we took them over from him. And then uh, we got in some new ones. But most of them are uh, the Rhode Island Red. And hens, are these yeah. uh, are these eggs or meat? Pardon me. Are these for eggs or are they for meat? Eggs. These are eggs only. Purely eggs. Lovely eggs. Yes, lovely eggs. So some of them are old; they don't lay exactly every day. Uh, but I think I'm happy to have them and um, not just get rid of them no. when they stop laying every yeah. day. So that's kind of part of our thing as well. Yeah. They they're part of our family, so yeah. 
Um, so how would anybody listening at home be able to have some of the beautiful stuff that's growing here? Okay, so uh, we are going to do box boxes again. So we did it uh, at the end of the summer just because we had quite a surplus, uh, quite a amount of stuff. So And we thought we'd just give it a little go to see how it went. And so once we have the, the produce again, like a nice variety, uh, then we will be doing them again and we'll do collection. And those boxes are like a mixed variety, just whatever's good? Yeah, so we're going to be quite clear to people that we're growing everything seasonal and zero chemicals. And it's kind of a mixed bag. We'll try and give you as much of a selection as possible. Uh, but y- you get what we have, yeah. basically. And if people are happy with that, Amazing. Cool. And yeah. can people find out about you on Facebook and that kind of At thing? At the moment, Facebook, yes. Okay, great. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there will be a website yeah. Yeah, on the way in the new year as well. Amazing. Yeah. So let's go over and have a look at uh, the very exciting beginning of the which is the... Our first uh, construction, the eco-toilet. Eco-toilet, so okay, The cool. first thing that we kind of built here, um, because we also have a bakery on the farm. Yeah. And uh, which is where Charlotte and Shane of Scale Bakery used to be set up. That's right. They were our guests of ours about six, seven weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. So we kind of started with um, Shane and Charlotte, and it was lovely to have them here. And then they obviously moved on to bigger and better. And now we have Julie, and Julie's doing some lovely things. Julie, who's also known as the flower oh, artist. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So we'll we'll um, we'll have her on the show sometime soon because she's doing amazing things with cakes. Yeah. So Julie's here and sometimes she has workshops and we have helpers that come. So we thought one of the things we need to do is make a little eco toilet. So we kind of converted, I think it's lovely. We kind of converted this little ruined wall. Uh, my friend Nico and myself, we kind of kitted it out. Um, and it's again, this idea of using uh, things for one goal on the farm. Yeah. Here, we'll just open it up here. So it's lovely, I think. Beautiful. Yeah, it's very nice. And so we're going to tuck in now. Yeah, let's tuck in. Oh, nice and close. Come into the loo. <laughs> Come into the loo. <laughs> yeah. All right. It smells really it smells lovely. Lavender. Yeah. Yeah. Lavender does the trick. <laughs> so we grow the lavender yeah. ourselves, which is lovely. And then we have a big little basket over here to make yeah. it your poop smell nice. <laughs> we have sawdust, which yeah. I get from a friend of mine who ha- who's a carpenter. And so we cycle, recycle his. Otherwise, that's just going into the bin. So we use that. This lovely machine here, well, this toilet we have, it basically separates liquids from solids. The solids go into a compost bin, and that just gets broken down. And it takes five years to break down completely, apparently. And then the liquids get separated, and I have the lovely job of taking the liquids and spreading them around because the fox does not take kindly uh, to human urine. So, yeah, we kind of so use that as fox repellent. So, repellent. yeah, and it's grand for soil. But w- anyway, that's outside the farm, yeah. by the way. Uh, so, yeah, so everything kind of works together. We have a lovely little sink over there. Yeah. And the water goes into a little bucket. Yeah. And that waters oh, our so flowers. Gra- oh, wow. So, so we so use grey water in order to... Yeah, like so it just flowers. But okay, basically, yeah. it doesn't just go down into the drain. It gets reused in, into Amazing. the plants. Yeah. Great. I mean, this is, I knew that we were going to talk about going back to basics, but like, this is extraordinary, Rasa. Um, just for listeners, it's it's a toilet, but it's actually one of the prettiest little rooms. It's so romantic. I've ever yeah. been. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It is lovely. Um, you've got love like it. some lovely West African prints uh, as a curtain on a window. It's a stone wall, and then this gorgeously constructed wooden throne yeah. uh, where you go to the loo. It's just beautiful, and it's such a pretty little window behind as well. Yeah, yeah Mahu, this is... I Thank you. I love it. I never thought we'd all crowd into a Jack's to... <laughs> To record us. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ross, I just want to say, like, thank you so much. Uh, what better place to end this interview than on the podcast?
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm sitting now. <laughs> yeah. So, Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming out. out. As part of a sabbatical year from Washington College, our next guest is currently lecturing in UCD's archaeological department, although his classes are known to take a more hands-on approach. To speak about the theme of natural food and his work as part of the Food Evolutions Project, Dr. Bill Schindler, welcome to With Relish. Thank you so much. It's great to, to have you here. We're so excited to yeah. hear about what you're doing. Absolutely, because it yeah. sounds weird. It sounds amazing <laughs> and really unusual. So can you just kind of kick off by describing to us what you're doing here in Ireland as part of this sabbatical? Yeah, so maybe maybe the best thing I can do is back up and let you know how, sure. we, how I even got here because yeah. of that, right. that backstory is, is huge. About three or four years ago, uh, UCD, who has probably the world's best graduate program in experimental archaeology, which is what I do, they, they hosted the largest experimental archaeology conference in the world, and uh, they invited me over to be the keynote speaker. And at that at that conference, after I spoke, uh, there, was a, there was a fantastic meal put on by Jason O'Brien uh, from mm-hmm. Odeus Foods, yeah. and we... Uh, after that, we went to some strange techno bar. Like I don't even know where it is now. I'm living in Dublin. I still don't know where it is. Purple walls and all this. And and uh, we saw him again. And over a Moscow mule, we uh, we started uh, throwing around ideas and and uh, talking to each other about what we were interested in and what and what we do. And we realized there was a strong connection here. Uh, and that conversation was me, me and my wife, obviously Jason O'Brien and Dr. Aidan O'Sullivan, who's the head of the experimental archaeology program at, okay. at UCD. And it turns out the link between archaeology and food and diet and health and yeah. the, the, the questions we're asking about sustainability and all these things today, that, that they're all intricately linked. And uh, we, we stayed in, in close contact for several years. And then a year and a half ago, uh, Jason O'Brien for Days Foods put on a huge event in Fitzwilliam Square. And this event was for uh, there were a lot of things going on, but there were some of the top chefs in Ireland there. And he asked me to come over to do a talk about my work with prehistoric diets and technology uh, to the chefs. Was this the one? I think I might have been. Did they butcher a boar with a flint? There were. It was. It w- we were butchering a deer with a flint. Okay, we and that was deer. the yeah, yeah, that, yeah, and yeah. that was me butchering the deer. I saw yes. you there. Okay. Ah, yeah. good to see you again. So I, <laughs> great to see you. Again. So we were. Uh, the, the idea was uh, supposed to be a stone tool demonstration, uh, do a talk to the chefs, and then uh, several of us were going to get together and butcher actually two deer uh, from from the Wicklow Mountains. And uh, I was there with uh, Kevin Thornton butchering right, right alongside Kevin Thornton, which was which was great fun, and, mm. uh, and several other people as well uh, that were part of the UCD program. And then the very next day, uh, we had an amazing meal at Thornton's restaurant that night. It was, it was, it was, like, it was like a four-hour. Yeah. It was yeah. fantastic. Gone now, yeah. but alas. Yeah, yeah I know. It, it, was, it was actually that night that he announced uh, to, that he was closing oh, the restaurant. Oh, right. So anyway, we had this four-hour, on, on, on a happier note, this four-hour-long <laughs> meal. And uh, we sat down, and, and I knew a sabbatical was coming. Uh, I, I had applied through for Russian college, and I, I knew... There were a couple different locations that I wanted to go. It was possible for me to go and do work because there were a couple of universities that had graduate programs in experimental archaeology. Um, Dublin and the UCD program seemed the best fit, and we figured out a way to make everything work together. I'm building um, a food lab at Washington College called the Eastern Shore Food Lab. It's modeled in some forms after the Nordic Food Lab, okay. which is associated with NOMA. Um, and 
between that and the work with experimental archaeology and the work with uh, Jason O'Brien is doing with really trying to connect people in Ireland back to uh, their food roots through things like uh, ancient breads and grains and things like this, we figured it was a, it was a great combination. So over the next several months, from that moment forward, over the next several months, we, we dreamed up this, this project, right? And it kind of culminated last November. I had everybody over to the U.S. Uh, for um, – for Thanksgiving, we went hunting. They were they were hunting with bows. They were hunting deer. We uh, were foraging. We were wow. having great, it was fantastic. People who came over did they observe experts hunting with bows? I've just got this image of a bunch of Irish people <laughs> chasing <laughs> these wounded animals around the no, world. No, I'm no, like, no, oh no. my god, so, this so is this is. <laughs> Well, some of them are hunting with bows. Okay. We had a, that's a very, very good question. So yeah. I, I live in a very rural area in, yeah. in, in Maryland. It's this little yeah. strip of land called the Eastern Shore, which is between the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. Um, very rural hunting is a big mm. hunting culture is big there, and one of the, hunting in Ireland is a little bit different. The access to hunting for a typical person here is a little bit different, and it's illegal to hunt with bows sure. and arrows. Yeah. So you can imagine these. <laughs> but in the states, it's a free for all. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it may sound strange in this context, but for the, you can imagine the people that I'm, I'm, I'm hooked up with here, people like uh, Aidan O'Sullivan and, and Jason O'Brien, who are so focused on trying to uh, learn about the past mm. and do it in a very hands-on, meaningful yeah. way yeah. that having access to be able to do something as, as, as you know, visceral, as really. As analog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, what we did, I, I got in touch. We have to be licensed. We had the, um, I know it's a little off topic, but it is I like it. I'm into it. We oh, had, yeah. uh, I got in contact with the um, fishing game department for the state. Mm. We, you know, we're very state-based on some of this. And I, I told them who was coming over and why it was important. And this one guy that was, it, it took me months, but finally the head, head, head guy saw some value in it. And he came and he did a, what is typically a several week course to get people licensed to hunt which is mostly about safety more than anything else mm-hmm. um he came and did it himself with oh, everybody that came over we took the entire day we went up to the college and we did a foot which ended up um you know out, out on the range because the the in maryland the way that it works is you have to be licensed in everything so you can imagine everybody coming over from dublin who maybe did or didn't have access to yeah, guns sure. before yeah. they had to be licensed in guns and bows and all this so okay. it was great wow. and we went we went goose hunting we went deer hunting and actually jason with a crossbow uh shot, shot a deer wow a great, a great shot dropped it okay. okay it was a very clean ethical ethical kill Good. we butchered yeah. it we ate it for thanksgiving it was it was wonderful that's wow. incredible what a trip yeah so the project itself, which is where I guess you guys really wanted wanted me to go with this, um, the idea is that we, you know, humans, Homo sapiens. There's some recent finds now that think uh, we first appeared modern, you know, anatomically the same as us. Mm. Modern day Homo sapiens appeared about three hundred thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, prior to that, the thinking was about two hundred thousand years uh. ago, and humans in general appear, you know, members of the genus Homo appear about two and a half million years ago. And we'll talk more about that. It's very, very interesting the way that we've dealt with technology and diets over time and how this transformed us. But if we look at us as a species for 300,000 years, really relatively biologically unchanged, mm-hmm. um, then I think there's some, some value into looking into how we've eaten for 300,000 years to, to yeah. help inform how we should be eating today. The, the difference is and, – and, and I'm sorry. Let me back up. And, and archaeology – 
is uh, what we t- can turn to to tell us, to, to give us information from the ground about yeah. how we've eaten in the past. And experimental archaeology, which is an, an amazing field, is, is sort of the application of, of an, an interpretation of that data and finding out what it, what it really means. How does it translate? To kind of like reenacts those findings, maybe? Re, re, uh, reenact's a loaded word, but yeah. Recreate, run experiments around. You know, the idea is that experimental archaeologists will... Uh, conduct experiments and using the same tools and technologies that we think people were using in the past to understand okay. uh, how those technologies functioned, how they worked, how things were made, how they were used in, in the case of food, what they tasted like and what they were. So that's great. And I do believe that as far as diet is concerned, we, we should look to the past because mm-hmm. we can learn a lot. And it, it can inform how we should be eating. The difference is, and I think this is where the real value of the project that we're working on comes in, we are culturally very, very different than we were 50 years ago, 100 years ago, yeah. and certainly 300,000 years ago. So we can't just directly pick up something at 300,000 years old, no matter how amazing it is, is for our bodies, and expect it to work. It just doesn't. And I, I have three kids. My wife and I both have careers. And to, to try, and I've tried very hard to there were several years where I tried to feed every single food that went into my kids' mouths 100% entirely from scratch. Nobody else put it together. I mean, cheese and butter and bread. Wow. And every, yeah. every Literally everything. We forged, it was one year that probably 30% of the foods that we ate were from wild plants. And we're still trying to maintain careers and go to soccer practice and dance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it just doesn't work. Plus, the um, in a more kind of at-the-table practical sense, we have expectations of taste and flavor and how food should look and how it should yeah. smell. And we have to keep those things in mind, too. So the, some of the fads that we've seen, no matter how wonderful they, they are over the past several decades, they just they don't click necessarily all the time. Yeah. But there's a huge trend now, I think, where that's changing, where uh, foraging, for example. I started foraging when I was 10, so, uh, so that was in 1983. And we in, in the U.S., foraging really took off in the 60s with uh, Yule Gibbons stalking a lot of the asparagus, mm. these sorts of things. And over the next several decades, <clears throat> most of the foraging guides and anybody doing it, they were more encyclopedia-driven. They were just a whole host of list of plants. They didn't. They said, you can boil this, you can steam this, you know, and that's as far as it went. And you, you may be able to make it taste like a bland asparagus was kind of the – and people were forcing food into their mouths because they thought – people that did it thought it was a good idea and were – were you know, they didn't necessarily yeah. enjoy a, a whole lot of the, the, the practice of eating it. And now it's different. I mean now we're uh, you know, celebrating the flavors and textures and things that these foods can bring in. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that we need to do. So this project is taking archaeology, experimental archaeology to inform us – history, ethnographical – to for, inform us about how people have been eating for a very, very long time, how we've transformed food into things that you know make our bodies healthy – and working with modern-day chefs and foragers and hunters and, and people in their own kitchens and their homes to try to find ways to fuse those things together to make them not only healthy but relevant. Bill, what practices should we be trying to revive and keep and bring back into our diets? You know, you're talking about there being yeah. a sort of impossibility almost between like living, a, you know, eating and preparing food the way we did thousands of years ago. Today, it's just not possible with the way we live our modern lives. Mm-hmm. So what can we bring back in? I mean, just if for people listening at home, like what... Yeah. What should they be doing to well, preserve, you know, for their health um, and to preserve those practices? As much as we can. But mm. <laughs> I, think, I think the short answer is context is the most important mm-hmm. because everything that I'm going to say in the next few minutes are things that are, are, are I don't want to say if they're fads, but they're, mm. they're movements in the yeah. food world right now. But uh, the, the problem that I see with them is that many of them are not contextualized. It's, yeah. well, we'll eat local, we'll eat seasonal, we'll forage, we'll ferment or whatever. But 
there's not a real understanding of why it's so, so, so very important to do these things yeah. and what that connection with our past and with our environment really is. And, and if that connection is there, that context is there, it'll be more than just a fad. It'll be something yeah. that you know becomes ingrained and becomes something people do all the time. I think it's, it's sort of segmented. I think for me, the biggest thing that people should do is connect with their food as much as possible and do this by – and it, it – uh, I've, I've changed a lot in the past even five years because I was, like I mentioned before, I was hardcore. Every single thing I fed my body, and my, my, my kids and put into their bodies was going to be completely collected by me. Mm. You know, a lot of the meat we eat is meat that we've hunted. And the rest of it is from farmers that we know, which is, which is great. Um, you know, again, forage foods and we're fermenting everything and we're cooking everything from scratch. I was going crazy and I was doing a disservice to our family because okay. I, it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was too far. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think everybody should have their hands in some form in something like this because at, at minimum, the way that they shop at the grocery store and the way they, you know, the decisions they make with their with their wallets and how they feed their family is going to change. And it's going to support people that are doing these sorts of things. Exactly, yeah. So I think everybody should be fermenting something in their house at yeah. all times. There should be something bubbling, period, yeah. all the okay. time. People should make bread at least once. Completely, I mean, real sourdough bread completely yeah. from scratch. People need to forage. I mean, I, I was yesterday, Kevin Thornton and I ran a... Um, uh, an uh, urban coastal foraging tour. It, yeah. it was great. It was it was a terrible day. It was raining it was and it was snowing. And we yeah. had so much fun. And okay. the, you know, even the we're going to do one soon through the city in Dublin. It's a true urban foraging tour in Dublin. And uh, you know, I don't think I, I do a lot of foraging tours in, in Washington D.C. every year, and it's great fun. And in the beginning, I have a lot of people. Uh, you know, I sit everybody down, all the participants, and we talk a lot about certain things safety and you know mm. these sorts of things and why it's important to forage but i asked them well why are you here and almost every one of them you know i'm here because i want to eat all my food from wild plants in, in the city <laughs> that, that's yeah. awesome yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah maybe yeah, two sure. people could do that in all of dc but yeah it, that, that's not the point the point is you're gonna you know spend two hours with me walking these streets that you walk every day and you'll never walk you, you will never be the same person walking these streets again sure. and you're saying that it's sorry to interrupt is it good to forage in your opinion because it's just like a good mental exercise is a good connection to what you're eating or or is there something of greater nutritional value in in foraging something well both so for forage food there was a great book written several years ago called um eating on the wild side and the first section of this book uh looks at the nutritional value you know, obviously every domesticated plant in the world comes from a wild ancestor right mm -hmm. that's been domesticated so they, they looked at the nutritional uh, differences between wild plants and domesticated plants mm -hmm. and they're, they're, they shouldn't even be in the same conversation okay. they're, they're, they're that far different um, and then as far when you get things get domesticated over time they you know a lot of them have lost nutritional value as well but so there's a nutritional piece but in an urban setting the difference for for me is they're not going people are not going to eat that much food walking through the sidewalk but they're going to see what it is and, and look at the, what's growing up through those sidewalks at the base of the trees or in the yeah. park completely differently and, yeah. and again hopefully treat things differently but exactly, it's, yeah. it's about that connection it, is what it is definitely it's a, there's a sort of a domino effect I think once somebody you know goes on a foraging walk or makes a decision to buy from a farmer's market on a Saturday you know half of their fruit and veg for the week yeah. or decides to go with one butcher that they trust and that's it there's a huge knock-on effect I've experienced this myself over the last few years where you just become incredibly conscious and sometimes it's a frustrating thing yeah. of everything you put in your mouth you know over time and that doesn't mean that I don't buy really crappy food sometimes when I'm really hungry really tired but for the most part just heightening your awareness 
waking up a little bit to the reality of where food comes from yeah. has a huge effect on the rest of your and then there's an effect on the people you know because you bang on about it all the time like I do <laughs> you know but it you is, lose some you know, friends gain some others and stuff hanging yeah. out with you yeah. but, but it, huh? and then everyone stops hanging out with you oh no that didn't happen yet it's on the way though um, so yeah I think that's it's the heightened consciousness that's that's a really important thing from taking part in an exercise sure. yeah. like that and the piece I didn't get to very quickly and it's a little more difficult and it's a little more controversial is with animals mm. um we wouldn't be here today where we are as a species okay. if it wasn't for animals in our diet. Well, two episodes ago yeah. was one very close to our hearts and it was about the ethics of eating meat and it was yeah. kind of one of the more difficult ones, difficult, yeah. difficult ones for us to approach because both um, myself and Eva do eat meat but it's one of these things where by, you know, we're talking about factory you know, farming and the, yeah. the ethics. Um, and for going yeah. harking way, way back to diets yeah. of yore. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the fascinating thing. I mean, I think it's very easy to be co- to start taking this moral high ground and talking about how, mm. you know, just because we can eat meat, we, it doesn't mean we have to. Yeah. Um, and we know better now and so on. But, you know, what you're saying here is yeah. really important as well. And I, I know there's a lot of sidetrack squirrel moments here, but very, very quickly, just to... A couple of things you guys said here is very important to this. W- one of the biggest things that I think providing context to all of this can do, and, and it can only be done by understanding how bread is made, how butter is made, mm. how the, is uh, how things are grown, is we're in a place now where people talk about food all day long, mm. but they never really have a real conversation. And part of the reason is because food is hard to talk about because it brings in issues of religion and ethics and family and traditions and value and all so and body real, shape and yeah, all of it super sensitive so it's yeah, very yeah, difficult yeah. to do but yeah. another reason it's difficult to talk about is because we are so far removed i'm not telling you guys anything you don't know but uh, distanced from really understanding food that we talk in categories that are actually meaningless okay. we say something like milk or bread but within that category, there's things in there that shouldn't even be the part of the same conversation, right? You know, mm. sourdough bread or something from a, a mass chain Brands. grocery store. Yeah, sure. Completely different food. Yeah. Or, or, or you know, raw organic milk and, uh, you know, fat-free, you know, something that's ultra-pasteurized. Two completely different sure. foods, and our bodies deal with them completely differently. Okay. Meat and animals is the same yeah, sort of thing. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and one issue is we say meat. When we talk about eating animals, we automatically say meat. And that's not what I'm suggesting here. Even if we ethically, as much as possible, raise an animal, kill an animal, butcher an animal, get an animal to market, we still are doing something very strange in how we've dealt with animals for millions of years. I mean, it would be, we in the past, you would kill an animal, you'd start on one end, eat all the way through the other, and then you'd go kill another animal. Yeah. Today, even if we're buying the most organic chicken or pork or beef or lamb in the world, we typically always default back to the same cuts of the same animal every single week. Yeah. And that's a strange, strange thing. You know, and and again, if you if the nutrient density kind of model I have in my head, which I truly believe in, is true, we are targeting and going after repeatedly and spending a lot of money at the store for the least nutrient dense part of an animal over and over. Not that we shouldn't be eating that, but that should be a part of a much larger package. Yeah. In the U.S., we eat approximately fifty-five percent by weight of a pig, and fifty percent by weight of a cow. Yeah. The rest of it goes to dog food food. or trash or soap or you know all sorts of other things. And so the good stuff that's essentially brought us to the hyper-evolved <laughs> state that we're in today, we treat yeah. as rubbish. We do. Okay. We yeah. treat as rubbish. And yeah. think about the uh, imp- all the implications. A- anybody who has, and there are, you know, I am not a fan of factory farming. I think it's a deplorable sort of thing. But the people that have issues with, with eating meat or eating animals, and, and rightly so, have, have these issues, think about what the transformation would be for all the, all the things that they would have issues with. 
you know, uh, ethical level, on a, on, a, on a health level, on a sustainability level, and even mm-hmm. on an economic level. I yeah. mean, if a farmer can sell, you know, 90% of a f- something for, f- for food, a, a small farmer, what, does it, what are the uh, economic implications for yeah. that? And all it takes is a mind shift, and it's a hard shift, but a mind shift on the consumer part. That mind shift seems quite tangible. It seems quite doable when... I think if we're looking at if we're looking at like the kind of caveman diet maybe that we're talking about here, for lack of a better term, sorry. But it's you know, if we look at the way that humans have really changed that they've eaten, that's like jumped in the last hundred years more than it had probably in the previous sure. like yeah. thousands of years. Do you know what I mean? So it so I think if we're looking at kind of like readdressing the way they're eating and, and talking about kind of getting close and back to how it is, it's not I think for myself anyway, like to, to go around finding food in the city and then saying, Yes, this is my new diet that's not super attractive. I mean, not a like super tangible thing. And as you're talking about something that that is really difficult to do when you're when you're like living a normal life. But if you look back to like before World War Two, mm. you know what I mean. You looked at the way that people were eating then, where it was very much kind of like food that was eaten at home. We were looking at higher density things, higher nutrient density meat, and eating more awful. Yeah, and eating, eating more, more awful. Exactly. Eating whole you know, chicken and meat, boiling down awful. the bones or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the things that think, we're all trying to do all the time. Yeah, sure. and I think that's still kind of the bit that I'm trying to grasp it's, it's and get within back reach. to. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not suggesting. People should should go foraging through Dublin and try to get all their food. What I'm suggesting is take a day, go down to Powers Court Waterfall, yeah. go down to the Wicklow Mountains, go through here, take a, take a guide, go with go with a class or something. Yeah. Take it to understand what it is you're walking over. Yeah. Because yeah. If, whether you want to eat meat or not, we've been eating those plants for tens of millions of years. That's what our diets are made up of. We've always eaten wild food up until twelve thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Use it to open your mind. You don't even have to yeah. put something in your mouth. But then take that information and think about how nutrient-dense those things were and make a different decision at the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's that's what I'm th- talking yeah. about there. I would love every – you know, go fishing once. Go with somebody hunting once. Or at least go – you should go visit a butcher and go behind the door and see what it's like if you're going to eat meat. No, I want to see the bow and arrow. really take bow and arrow. Oh, bow and arrow. Oh, yeah. extremely taken. And bone marrow too. And bone marrow. Yeah. You love both those things. Yeah, I tell you, I'm a cave person. Like, I know at heart. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, Bill, we are running out of time, but I just have one last question. No, I I sit here and talk to you all day. This is fascinating stuff, and I think people are going to really, really enjoy listening to the episode. I know it's a huge topic, but what happened when we started farming? You said that we ate wild food still 12,000 years ago. In terms of human, uh, you know, evolution, health, Mm. development of the body, did we plateau then? Did we... What happened there? Was it a mistake for humankind? There is a a famous article written by Jared Diamond. You know yeah, Jared Diamond? yeah, yeah. Have you read this? Yeah. Uh, the uh-huh. Worst Steak in the Human Race? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I, I give every one of my classes. I think yeah. it's, it's a great article. Um, Say it again there slower for us who haven't read so it. So <laughs> Jared Diamond, who wrote Collapse and Guns, Germs, and Steel, mm. he's, he's an incredible author uh, and, 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 and uh, mind, he wrote a, a short piece called The Worst Mistake in the History of the Human Race. It's only four or five pages. Mm. It's very You can Google it and, and pull it up immediately. And in this, he suggests that if we realized what we were doing when we started domesticating plants and animals, we would have run the other way, mm. you know, screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like, we wouldn't have done it. Uh, we transform everything in, in, in a short period of time all over the world when we start doing this and relying on these plants. We create probably the most fragile resource base we've 
ever experienced. Um, our human health declined. It, initially, when we do it, our human health declined immediately, and you can mm. see it in the fossil record. We've recovered a bunch since through medicine and other things. Um, I will say this. I, I, I wish we were in a place where we could all be hunters and gatherers again because yeah. I think it's in physically and mentally the healthiest lifestyle we yeah. can have. But there's no way we could ever revert back to no. it at this point. So I think it was a mistake. I think we have to realize we're Just at a place that we, can, we have to yeah, run yeah, with yeah. it. But we, that still doesn't mean we can't take lessons from, yes. from the way things have been okay. in the past. Sure. Oh, just one more thing. Sure. Um, is there a foraging walk coming up that you want people to know about? Actually, um, we just did one full? yesterday. There's okay. And uh, as soon as the winter's over, we're going to start again. Uh, okay. So check Kevin Thornton Cooks. Kevin yeah. Thornton's Cooks uh, yeah. has his uh, – <laughs> it, it, it'll post on there. Um, and and if, I, if I could just say one more thing uh, very quickly. So th- there will be probably several more coming up. Definitely mm. one will be a full urban one because I yeah. really think they're they're accessible and important because it's yeah. something people again going on one is fine but then every single day you look at everywhere you walk in a completely it just different changes way your whole it changes your whole yeah, perspective on, yeah, yeah. on the world um but I, I just very quickly about what we're doing at the college uh, if you don't mind mm. we um I, I've been very um uh, inspired by the work of the Nordic Food Lab and mm-hmm. w- what they're doing with, with food and, and uh, really exploring some really cool topics in some really meaningful ways. Uh, we're starting uh, something, again, uh, in some ways modeled after it with a more educational focus uh, called the Eastern Shore Food Lab at Washington College, and there will always be links with, with UCD and with Ireland. There there's, there's always will be from this point forward anyhow, but uh, we will be explore- uh, keep, keep an eye on that because that is definitely worth it. Um, is there a website to check in? There is. Yeah. Um, so two websites I think are important. Mm. Uh, the Food Evolutions website is, mm-hmm. is www.foodevolutions, with an S, org, And that talks a lot about our project and has the other links I'm talking about it uh, as well. And um, it's uh, the Eastern Shore Food Lab. It's uh, I'll tell you the website. It's kind of difficult. But it's www.washcol, W-A-S-H-C-O-L-L, dot E-D-U, backslash E-S-F-L. Okay. Um, Catchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trips off the tongue. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, you Perfect. can Google it, I'm sure. Yeah. You can Google it. It's very easy. But it, it's really important work, and I think um, I think you get a lot out of, out of taking a peek. It sounds amazing. Great, Bill. Thank yeah. you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Bill, Thank for you. joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening into this episode of With Relish. We would like to thank all our guests for taking time out to come on with us. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are a fortnightly podcast, so make sure to check out headstuff.org for our next show. You can download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the usuals. If you like what you've heard, please let us know by writing us a review or following our Twitter page at With Relish Pod. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.